Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Good morning, church family, and good morning to those of you joining us on live stream this morning. We are glad that you are here. My name is Rob. I'm the lead pastor here at Salem Alliance. It is good to be back in Salem. I've been traveling for the last uh, little bit. I had the opportunity to travel to the country of Kosovo uh, with a group of our REACH Training Institute students. Fifteen of our students joined my wife Jess and I. We teach a class, Nations and Neighborhoods. We were able to just do a lot. We were joined by another one of our pastors, Brian Candelo. A lot of people ask me, what's it like to travel with Brian Candelo? <laughs> Brian Candelo, he's the same there as he is here. And Brian is just, oh, it was great. We had a great time. We were able to visit with some of our RTI alumni who actually serve full time in Kosovo. We got to visit their center. We got to hang out and see what God is doing and meet many uh, local people. It was an incredible opportunity. We also were spent time in the capital. We got to do just a, a lot of things. We had a lot of class time as well. We did an ethnography study. We learned a little Albanian. We had a great trip. We got back late Wednesday night, which means some of those in the room that were traveling with me, you're also waking up at 4 a.m. and we're doing our best, but it's good. Jet lag can be a doozy. One of the greatest parts about the trip for me personally was we got to sit, we had lunch, and then we were able to sit and hear from a, a, a local Kosovar. He is actually the president of the Protestant Evangelical Association for the country of Kosovo. And so all the churches of Kosovo kind of come under his leadership. The fascinating thing is there's only 29 churches in Kosovo, a city of 2 million. But when you add up what they estimate is the number of followers of Jesus in this country, it's less people than are in this room and on live stream right now. It's under a thousand people. And as we began to just talk about that, one, that just gives you this calling of like, wow, there are countries where we need to send people with the truth of who Christ is, because how else will they hear? But also, it was just interesting to hear him talk. You see, when the church is a minority at that level, it's interesting how willing they are to fight for unity. And so one of the conversations that we got to have with this young man, he's, he's, he's younger than I am, he w- was able to talk about how these groups have to put together their theological differences. They have to put aside their theological preferences. They have to put their political leanings on the back burner because they have to fight for unity. Because they are so few in number, they have to fight for that unity. And it was amazing to talk about how difficult that is, but how amazing that is. Because you see, when we fight for unity, it's part of our testimony. Here in the U.S., in the church and outside, just in our culture, it seems that oftentimes we don't want to put in the work to just look at our differences and work it out. We are attracted to the fragmenting that is happening because when you can find a community that believes everything you believe, that just looks like you and votes like you and all these things, it's pretty comfortable and you're drawn to that. Yet throughout scripture, we're told that's not the way it should be. The large C church is also guilty of this. Oftentimes we see, that's why we have so many denominations. There's been so many divisions over the years and many are dividing even now, further splintering. It's not multiplication because it's not the reason they're having to split is not generally a good thing. 
But the book of Ephesians speaks to this. The book of Ephesians is a letter to the church in Ephesus, and many scholars would say to other churches as well. And it speaks about this. It starts by talking about how we receive this grace individually, this incredible grace that is made known to us that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Jennifer talked about this last week. But as those people then collectively come together and form little groups, little united groups that are churches marked by the Holy Spirit, something powerful begins to happen. In the book of Ephesians, there's this mystery that is being revealed to Paul, and he is now sharing that vision of a united community with others. It's that unity that I believe is a key attribute of the church, and it's what we're going to talk about today. I believe that here in Ephesians, Paul is actually saying that the unity of the church is our ultimate testimony. That the unity of the church is our ultimate testimony. It's the brightest lighthouse on the, co- on the coast. It's the most captivating dress in the window. It's the signature dish on the menu. It is our most attractional attribute that we have to offer the world, our unity. It should be our church growth strategy. Diversity through Jesus. I just imagine sometimes, I step back and I say, what if those that live on our streets, our neighbors, those in our culture that are fed up with all the divisions, the fractures, the polarization, what if they said, man, I'm sick of this? Where is a countercultural community that is living in unity? Where is that community where competing opinions are able to come together, where different ideas on how we should interact with our culture and what is happening in society, where people can come together in those differences and get along and form a tight community? Where is that? Imagine if our neighbors, imagine if our city that was looking for that counterculture community said, I know where that is. That's in the church. It's in the church, and the reason they're able to do that is because they come under this banner of Jesus Christ. What if they said the church does this well? I'm preaching, and I haven't even gotten to our scripture yet, but stepping out of the country for 10 days and just meeting new people, a lot of people kept asking me the same question, which caught me a little off guard. Hey, in your current calling and assignment as a lead pastor, do you like what you do? Do you like what you do? And over and over, I found it was really easy for me to answer. And my answer was quick, and the answer was absolutely. Absolutely. Because today we're looking at Ephesians 3, and I believe that we as a church are an ever-increasing group that is understanding unity and looking more and more like what Paul is envisioning. You see, we are growing as a multi-generational congregation, as a multi-ethnic congregation, as a group that is able to put some of our political differences on the back burner, and we are discovering new levels of beauty and in, in, in just, just beauty and diversity as we work out our differences together under that banner of Jesus. Look, we've got plenty of room to grow, which is why we're talking about it even today. But I believe that what is modeled here in Ephesians 3 is important for us in that we are growing in positive ways in this area as a community. Today, we're going to be in Ephesians 3. We're looking at the end of Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. I'm actually going to be reading from verses 6 to 11 of Ephesians 3. You're welcome to turn there, but I'm also going to put it on the screen. I know that sometimes I turn there and then they throw it on the screen. I'm like, why'd you waste my time? 
You know, it's on the screen. So it's going to be on the screen in a little bit. Some of you like to read it here. Let me set some context for you before we read it. Here, Paul is writing from prison. And that's an important thing because Paul is wanting his people. He's wanting those who are going to receive these letters to understand he's not worried about his current circumstances. And neither should they be. He is saying that, yes, I am in prison. I understand how that could look to you. You might feel that you're a bit defeated, that we as a movement, as a young movement, are losing, that that we're just not in control like we think we are. And he's saying, relax. He's saying, relax. God's got this. In fact, he's saying God's sovereignty is what has me here. He is in prison because the Jews have told the Roman authorities this guy is causing all sorts of issues. You need to put him in jail. And they do. And yet here, Paul doesn't say, I'm in prison because of the Jews. Or I'm in in prison because of the Romans. He says, no, I'm in prison because of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to gloss over this too quickly because what is happening here is he is addressing the concept of power before he speaks on unity. He's dealing with power. And he's basically saying what power is in the notion and what historically we have thought power is is actually being redefined by this new community, by this new movement. Power isn't making your demands. No, power is in weakness. Jesus laid down his life. This is a totally upside down kingdom. And here Paul is speaking to God's victory in human weakness. This man is in prison writing about the power of God. And it's working. It's working because a community is getting it. They're being redefined. He's continuing to reveal this mystery, this plan that God has hid from people since the beginning, the uniting of the Jew and the Gentile. Ephesians 3, I'll start in verse 6. And this is God's plan. Both the Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his internal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Here... Paul is further unveiling this incredible plan, a plan that had remained hidden from the Hebrews in their Hebrew Bible, from Israelite history. It's this unveiling, this plan that the Jew and the Gentile would become one new community. This plan that was so important that it even speaks into the unseen heavenly realms. Here, Paul is just building on what he starts to unveil in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says this. He, Christ, made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself, in himself, one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. It's a powerful thing, the coming together of these two groups. And these two groups were incredibly different. 
I mean, the Jews had some strange customs, and there's no doubt that the Gentiles looked at that and said, man, that's a, that's a, I don't know if I really want much to do with that. And I'm sure that the Jews looked at the Gentiles and said, they, these heathens that don't understand our history and our traditions and our sacrifices, and yet God brings these two groups together. The hostilities dissipate. This is such a rare thing. And I can't imagine for those that were outside of that bubble in the city of Ephesus, for them to see this happening just must have been just mind-blowing. How are these two groups getting along? I started to think of other examples, even in our culture, where two groups that you wouldn't think would be able to be united could be united. And it was really difficult to come up with something. And then I was like, something happened recently in our culture. I don't know if if you've read this. I don't know if you've seen this. Travis Kelsey is dating Taylor Swift. This is big, guys. This is huge. These two U.S. subcultures that never would ever get along or talk together are united all of a sudden. It's the weirdest thing. And they have a lot of differences. They have a lot of differences. I'm, I'm sick of these reels of these wives that are like telling their husbands, can you believe Taylor Swift even put this Travis guy on the map? No one knew of him. She made him famous. And those of us that watch football are like, are you kidding me? And then you have the Swifties that are having to ask the football players, what is, what is a tight end? What's a touchdown? And so there's all this learning that's having to happen so that this unity can be built. But it's confusing. But that even breaks down. Because what is happening there, in my personal opinion, is an incredible business alliance that's selling a whole lot of jerseys, that's getting more viewers to the NFL, and is giving Taylor incredible fodder for her next breakup song. And you... <laughs> You might disagree with me on this, but that's okay because this is about us getting to disagree and work out our differences. So we can talk later on that. But I believe that the church in Ephesus is looking at this and saying, this is crazy, but this isn't an alliance. This is not like when you read in world history, this kingdom uniting with this kingdom through a marriage or this country finding peace with this country through an arranged marriage. No, this is not the opening of a free trade for just a season to see if they can get along. This is not some treaty that's going to last for a little while. No. This is the walls of hostility falling. This is just everything being changed. This is powerful. The dividing walls aren't covered up. They're not open for a season. They are demolished because of what Christ has done. Caesar would have loved to unite his empire in the way that Paul here is envisioning Christ uniting his creation. Unity is born. And here in Ephesians 3, I see two gifts that this unified, this unified community offers the city of Ephesus. And I believe they're true for us. These are gifts that we as a unified people get to offer our city as well. The first is this, a vision and a hope for a divided world. A vision and a hope for a divided world. Paul is in chains for this. He wants us to get this vision. Our bond as Christ followers needs to be deeper than our differences. Verse 6 only confirms what we see in other places in this letter. Both Jews and Gentiles have come together. They share equally in the riches of who God is. We see that they have the same inheritance. We see that they share equally, that they are all members equally in Christ's body, that they're part of the covenant and its promises, that they equally are being built into the new temple, into a house where the Holy Spirit fills and dwells. In Jesus, Gentiles find all the privileges of equal status with the believing Jews. They share all the privileges On this trip to Kosovo, like 
most trips that I take, I was with all of our students, and we get on to a plane for the longer transatlantic flight, and you get on, and you take a right, because to the left is really nice stuff, and you take a right, and even on the plane we were on, you're taking a right, and you're walking by, I'll throw a picture of it, these, these chairs, I don't, they're not even seats, because they lay fully flat, and you're walking, and you're looking at your ticket number, and these people are already sleeping flat. And you keep walking, because RTI is a debt-free school, so we just keep walking and walking and walking to the, back of the, to the back of the plane where we're squeezed in like sardines. Here's the thing. Ephesians 3 says we are all platinum status in Christ. We're all platinum status in Christ. And there's two really big perks that we get because of the status that we have. The first is we share in the fulfillment of the promises of the covenant, particularly the promises that were made to Abraham in Genesis 12, that all peoples on earth would be blessed through us. We are blessed to share that blessing. It's this blessing that is one of the unanswered expectations in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. And here now, the mystery is revealed The plan is there. It is being fulfilled through this new community. We are blessed to be a blessing. The other perk that we see is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift for both the Jew and the Gentile. As he builds his new house, as each of us become temples that hold his fire and his presence. These are equally offered to all who declare Jesus as Savior. Coming under his banner, we get to fight for unity In Christ, the vision of unity for a divided world is seen. And with that inclusion, it speaks some truth. You see, this new unified community, the second thing we see here, that it offers the city, it's a symbol to the earthly and the heavenly realms. It's a symbol to both the earthly and the heavenly realms. It's a group that lives a different way, a group that fights for unity through the major differences When the Israelite community, when they were born, they were symbolized by things like Sabbath and circumcision and the sacrificial rituals of animals. And yet when this new community is born, the symbols that represent them, it's a new symbol. It's unity. They're represented by unity. The early church was simply known. Yes, unity. Now, over time, the cross became a symbol. Over time, the communion table became a symbol. But the church, in its original form, the symbol that should represent us is our unity. It's a powerful thing. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, says this. When the church is being the church, united and holy, then the principalities and powers know that Jesus the Messiah is Lord and that they are not. And that, it seems to me, is vital for the witness of the church in the contemporary world. Remember, it's speaking to the heavenly realms and the earthly realms. Verse 10 is this powerful, powerful verse that talks about that the church is to display the wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Our unity declares to the spiritual realm, to those principalities and powers that think they are in charge right now, who are manipulating things, who think they're mighty. It declares to them, you are not. You are not because of the banner of Jesus. It's how the wisdom of God is made known. Our unity speaks in spiritual warfare ways to the principalities in the heavenly realms. Think about that. We are a billboard 
towards what will one day be when they will fully be defeated. But the unity among a diverse group speaks to those unseen realms and it also speaks to our city. It speaks to the earthly realms as well. Our diversity, our ability to find unity in a multi-generational, in a group that looks different is a powerful testimony to our city. Diversity has become such a buzzword, but for the church, it's not a buzzword. It's not a growth strategy. It's not a move towards relevance. No, for the church, diversity is our calling. It is the design. It screams to the world, this is the new way. This is the way it was intended to be. This is a glimpse of what one day will be that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. It's powerful. Church family, we have to get this. Our unity is the ultimate testimony to our city. Our unity is a large piece of the puzzle that will bring peace to our city. So how do we live into this? Let me give you a couple of invitations. The first is this. Remember that this unity is less about what we stand for and more about what we, how we live and how we serve. Look, what we stand for is important. Our orthodoxy is strong. It is rooted. It is known. But what we need to be most known for is how we live and how we serve. This is what the early church did, and this is what we are commanded to do. The early church spread by living in a different way. They looked after the poor. They cared for the sick. Even in a pandemic, when people were left for dead, the Christians risked their life and took people in. They cared for people who were not part of their family, their tribe, or even their race. People did not know that you were allowed to live this way. And it changed the world. It created a diverse community, a community that wasn't looking to establish power. It was a community that was looking to glorify God and was looking to treat others the way they wanted to be treated themselves. But understand, in Ephesians 3, it starts by going after power and then talking about unity. Around here, we ask a lot, are we fighting for unity or do we find ourselves drifting and fighting for uniformity? You see, Ephesians 3 reminds us that uniformity is not the goal. It's not. Uniformity actually is a danger to the church. Uniformity is a danger to a community. It can breed stagnation. It can make us overly comfortable. If you're newer to Salem Alliance, I hope that you've discovered the unity that we do have, knowing that we still have a ways to go. But also, I hope that you find a home here, but understand like our goal as leadership is that you're comfortable in this place 80% of the time. And that you're pushed a little bit out of your comfort zone the other 20, because that's oftentimes where you will grow where you will understand more the truths of what you believe or your, some of your secondary beliefs might even be challenged. Because that 20% is also part of someone else's 80. And so if we maintain this posture collectively, you will see our unity continue to grow. It will abound in new ways and our witness and our testimony will only grow. There's a pastor in New York City, Rich Velotis, friend. He uh, recently, he posted something on Instagram. And I was about to get on a plane on the way to Kosovo when I saw this post that he made. And it messed me up a little bit. He wrote this. One of the questions I've been asking myself a lot these days is, is the church I pastor growing in unity because people are changing 
listening deeply, loving well, wisely negotiating their differences? Or is it growing in unity because people are leaving? Is the church I'm pastoring growing in unity because people are changing or because people are leaving? It messed with me. It put me on a bit of a reflective journey for the first hour and a half of that plane ride, one that I'm appreciative to because I needed to ask some difficult questions. One of the things that I appreciate so much in this role is when people that do approach me or approach one of our elders or pastors because they have concerns about something with regards to the church. Maybe it's a worship style or the way we're handling a budget item or maybe they're wanting us to draw some clearer lines in the sand or preach against something in the city or whatever it might be. When they're willing to come to us and have a conversation and say, hey, we have a difference of opinion on this. Can we talk about this? It is such a beautiful thing because it adds to the diversity. it helps us lead well. But oftentimes, people just leave. It doesn't happen that often around here, but here we see something that is so true. When we get to work out these differences, or at least try to work out these differences under the banner of Jesus, it is powerful. It changes us, and it is a light to our community. If I may be so bold, during COVID, which is not that far back in our rearview mirror, a lot of people felt uncomfortable with how Salem Alliance handled different things. Whether it be how we closed our doors, whether it be how we talked about certain things like race or didn't talk enough about other things that were happening in our culture. And there was a, a good number of people that left. It was crushing. Some of you in this room are still grieving the loss of people. Many of those people left, and we never really got to have conversations. And can I be so bold as to toss out another invitation here? For those of you that have friends that left that have not found another community, because those that found another Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, we love it. But for those that have not, would you mind sharing this talk with them? And would you personally invite them back to come back and at least give it another try and try to work out maybe some of those differences that are often secondary differences under the banner of Jesus? Because if we can do that, the differences in our community, if we can work those out, if we can give up some of our comfort to create a more diverse follower of Jesus community, it is powerful. Because that unity, it is a sign of the kingdom. It is our greatest testimony to the world. The second invitation that I see here for us that we are invited to do at the expense of sounding like a broken record the Spirit of God is in us, and so here we again are invited to be that billboard and take His presence everywhere. To take His presence everywhere. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 says, We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. Once again, in Scripture, we see it. If you are a follower of Jesus and his spirit dwells in you, you are a mobile temple. You are a mini temple full of his fire and his power. And guess what? The invitation is to bring his peace and his presence and his power everywhere that you go. In this is one more way that we get to bring unity to our city. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and his willingness to even write this letter that we get to learn from. 
Lord, struggling and pushing for unity is not an easy thing. It takes work. It takes humility. It takes courage. And I just pray that you would release all of those things over us as we continue to work it out. We celebrate what you are doing here. We celebrate the unity that we do have. We celebrate the community that you are bringing together. We say it's good and we want more. Lord, we also want to see more unity in our world. Our hearts break as we look at the news. Our hearts break for what is happening in Israel and Palestine. And so we even pause this morning and we ask that your peace would be manifested in that region. Lord, we pray that your spirit would fall with comfort on those who are just suffering from needless loss. Lord, we pray for the peacemakers that are in rooms that are making decisions even today. And we pray that their voices would be heard and that your peace would be made known. Lord, we pray for the lives of the innocent people, Lord, who are suffering on both sides. Lord, would you release resources, Lord, to bring about peace? Would you allow emergency supplies get to those who need them, Lord, and bring that comfort, Holy Spirit? But Lord, would you bring together in strange ways people who we would not expect to see together? to begin to create a change in that region of the world and it would be under the banner of your name, Jesus. We ask all these things in the powerful name of our King, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.